as an introduction, so this song, Halev Sheli, first of all, I want to give a special shout out on the recording to, the, uh, to Ariel and uh, Daniel Dilamani, who recommended and pushed for this song to be the topic and brought this song to my attention because uh, I was looking at other possible songs and a lot of suggestions came in and a lot of uh, feedback came in from the past class, which was, you know, very encouraging and really uh, supportive of this um, endeavor, this project of uh, studying the songs, and a lot of suggestions came in. And this is a song that I've heard on the radio in Israel, like uh, many times. It's been remade, it's been covered by a lot of artists. I'm pretty sure, I'm not 100% certain, but I'm fairly sure that the version that I heard wasn't Yishai Rebo singing it. I think it might've been like Omer Adam or something. A lot of the, uh, or maybe Eden Chasson, one of them, one of the current pop stars uh, that I heard on the radio. I'm not, I don't think it was uh, Ishai Rebo's rendition, but it's his writing. So the, the words and the melody, he has a, a real gift for, um, for writing. Thank you so much. He has a real gift for writing lyrics that are uh, not just meaningful, but so rich in their Jewish references and allusions and, and, and so deep, which we discovered last week. We studied Sibata um, Sibot uh, and Potechet Yedechan. We saw the richness of that and I hope everybody was able to access those recordings and, uh, and, and benefit from that. I heard a lot of people really um, appreciated that. Uh, he's really a gifted songwriter and he has also a gift for these beautiful melodies that are in a way like simple. They're not, uh, you know, they're not super ornate melodies, but they are very beautiful. Just like his voice is not like his power voice or this like, you know, Celine Dion. For, that's for Charlotte because she's a big Celine Dion fan. She, she, you know, but, um, but is, you know, a, a, a relatively simple, sweet voice that he has, and yet he's able to do so much with it. And so many people take his songs and remake them and cover them because they're so good. So we're going to take a look at this song, and I'm grateful to the uh, Dilamani boys for... Uh, young men, I should say, for bringing this uh, song to my attention and also for pointing out a source that it, part of the song is based on that I probably never would have discovered, although I might have Googled it and found out. Um, Daniel Delamani and Ariel Delamani, I'm pretty sure oh. were the ones. Yeah. So uh, I wanted to just mention it because I wouldn't have identified this song as a choice without them, even though I've heard it before on the radio and uh, in Israel and uh, you know, I'm familiar with it. So let's take a look at the song. And um, like we saw in, in the song, especially Sibata uh, Sibot, there's a, there's a controlling theme. Um, the theme is uh, biblical references to a particular story, but uh, woven in are a lot of other references and allusions to some words of Chazal, of the rabbis, and uh, some other verses in Tanakh. And overall, the genius of Yishai Rebo to me, at least, you know, I'm not sitting here to judge or to, you know, to evaluate an artist uh, who's obviously far more talented and capable than I am, so I can't really sit in judgment, but my sense of what makes him special is that he's able to take stories or imagery or um, text that it has a traditional meaning and is very much a part of uh, the liturgy or Parashat shavua or things that we've already encountered a million times, and utilize that imagery in a new way, in a creative way, which to me at least, I feel like 
uses the material in a new way, but in, it, it, at the same time sheds some light on the original meaning of the text also. Like we saw with, let's say, for example, the Mabul and the Teva imagery in Sibata Sibot. How on one hand, it really is about the topic of coming out of the pandemic and the new perspective that that gives on life. But at the same time, it also makes you think about the Mabul experience and what that was like and Noach's new start and all of this. So there's so much of that. So what is, the, what is this? Um, uh, the name of the song is Halev Shadi, My Heart. And that's really what the topic is. It's the internal experience, the existential crisis of the... Uh, of the religious person, okay? So the first words are, my heart is torn in half. The word torn in half, um, he never comes straight out and says what the biblical reference is. But from that verb of something torn in half with the verb kuf resh ayin, there's something very prominent and significant in the biblical story, in the story of the Torah, that involves something being torn in two, which uses the same shorash of kuf, resh, ayin. It becomes more obvious as we progress through the paragraph, but he never comes straight out and says it, okay? Halev sheli nikralishnai. My heart is torn in two. Just keep that imagery in mind of something being torn in two. What a maidservant did not see on the water. Now, what maidservant on the water is Yishai? Are you talking about him? He's not a, she's not a maidservant. She's a princess. Right? So, he's, but, but you're on the right track in terms of the right biblical book. And you're on the right track in terms of uh, the right storyline and narrative. You're just at the beginning instead of the end. Well, none of them are maidservants, though. It's not a specific person. He's talking about Kriyat Yamsuf, right? Which is the Kuf Resh Ayin. He's talking about the splitting of the sea. Halev Shali Nikrali Shnaim, just like the water was Nikrim Lishnaim, was split in half. And Mashilogata Shifcha Alamayim, that it was a good guess of Batfam because she was on the water, right? Now, what, uh, but the maidservant on the water is actually a reference to something that. Many people wouldn't immediately pick up on, but maybe like an Israeli who is educated or a Jewish person who went to yeshiva might, um, that there's a very famous statement of the rabbis, that that even a maidservant at Yamsuf saw more than Yechezkel ben Buzi, than the prophet Yechezkel, meaning that it was so incredible a demonstration of God's power and God's presence, what they saw at the Kriyat Yamsuf, that what a maidservant was able to see, meaning the, the person who was, let's say, the least educated person, meaning that it's the person who didn't have the benefits of an education. She's just a maidservant who works in the back of the, works in the, back of the kitchen, whatever. What she was able to perceive was greater than what Yechezkel ben Buzi. Now, what's Yechezkel ben Buzi famous for? What prophecy is the prophet Yechezkel best known for? Anybody know? Off the top of your heads? It's at the very beginning of the book of Yechezkel, if anyone's read it, is the Maseh Merkava, the vision of the divine chariot of Yechezkel, which is what contains basically the foundation of all, you could say, mystical, metaphysical, philosophical, 
study in Judaism that is esoteric, that is, you know, the mystery of Judaism, all of the ideas that are in Kabbalah, for example, or on the, you know, for those who are not Mikubalim, that the Rambam would put in his secret philosophical doctrines. It's all based on the vision of Yechezkel of the chariot, okay? It's called Masem Merkava. The rabbis call it Masem Merkava, the vision of the chariot. So Yechezkel ben Buzi is one extreme. Yechezkel ben Buzi is the prophet who saw the ultimate vision of God's majesty. But the, the, the rabbis say that an average woman who didn't have any education, who worked, you know, sweeping the floors, that maidservant saw more at the Yamsuf than what Yechezkel ben Buzi saw in his vision. Meaning it was such a powerful experience, that even a person with no training, no preparation, no education, no background, was able to perceive the hand of God in a way more powerful than a prophet. That's what the rabbis say. That's what he's alluding to. So when he says, what a shifchat didn't see by the water. So he's saying, what does that mean, what a, what a, what a maidservant didn't see by the water? Because the rabbis are saying that the maidservant saw something incredible at the water. She saw more than what a prophet could see about God. He's saying, my heart is torn in two, that the maidservant on the water wouldn't see it. So what is he trying to say? Don't be shy. Say something that doesn't make any sense and we'll work with this. Okay, don't be shy. What? Maybe something of the divine. Okay, meaning? That there's something of the divine that and she didn't see. And she wasn't able to That she wasn't able to see. Okay. Any other thoughts about that? Everybody is too shy here. You've got to be bold and, and, and be willing to say, say wild things. Well, let's go. <laughs> the? A pain that wasn't apparent or obvious. Okay. So yeah, so you're going in the, I think you're going in the right direction because what is he trying to say? He's talking about an inner experience, Right. So he's saying, what did, the, what did the maidservant see? Something outside herself, right? That she was able to see. He's using her as the example of somebody who could perceive more than, than even a prophet could perceive because in a certain situation, she was, all this was revealed to her, right? But my heart is torn in two, something that she couldn't even see. Meaning that the inner world of a person is sometimes even more mysterious, more buried than the outer world. We can learn about the world around us and a person, and we find this oftentimes, that a person will be a genius at understanding the world, but be a complete ignorant buffoon when it comes to uh, self-awareness. They have no self-awareness at all, right? We know that. There are people who are geniuses at understanding the outside world. Scientists, let's say, great scientists, discovers all kinds of things, but they have no insight into themselves. The self is actually a frontier that is hidden from most of us. And I think it's interesting that, you know, to, I, I, I'm not saying that this is what Ishai Rebo had in mind. I don't want to guess that, but it's very interesting that we know more, and I've said this many times in other classes, so you might have heard me say it before if you've been in other classes, we know more about, the, uh, about outer space than we know about the ocean. We can't actually get down to the bottom of the ocean. It's extremely difficult, almost impossible to get about. There's so much, there are living creatures on this planet that we will never see because they're so deeply hidden in the depths of the ocean. And yet we have telescopes that can see, I don't know, light years and light years and light years away. We have technology to be able to see so far out into outer space. 
And yet, on our own planet, there's so much hidden in the ocean that's beyond their ability to see. Now, I'm not saying that he necessarily thought of that particular point, but he might have, because Yishai Ribo is a very insightful person. But I think that what he's saying here is for sure, for sure, that this woman who was able to see, he's using a woman as an example, but this one was able to see so much, meaning she was, it was so clear and it was so apparent, God's presence wouldn't be able to understand what's going on inside me, meaning it's too deep. The inner world of a person is deeper than the outer world. The outer world, we can separate ourselves from it to a certain extent. We can, we, we're able to have that distance to be able to see objective truth, but about ourselves, it's not so easy. It's more like, I was saying, the ocean in a way. You know? Like a sufa minayam, like, in, like a, a sufa is a, is a storm, okay? Like a storm. I didn't write this translation, by the way, so I can't vouch for the accuracy. It looked accurate when I gave it like an eyeball test of looking it over, so I, if there's any mistakes, I didn't write it this time. So, um, so I, but it looked right generally, so I, I stuck with it. Um, it's like a holem is a word that has two meanings in, in modern Hebrew. One is to be appropriate, but that's not the meaning here. Holem also, especially in biblical Hebrew, holem means to, to pound like with, a, like with a hammer, okay? It's like a storm pounding from the sea. Now again, he's sticking with that metaphor of the sea, kriyat yamsuf, but he's talking instead of about an external splitting and like phenomenon going on, he's talking about an internal because he's saying my heart is split in two. And that shifcha, that maidservant who could see so much couldn't see into this. Even though, and I think this is definitely part of his line of thinking here, and I'll, I'll show you more evidence for it as we go on. Even though, and I just really honestly started looking at this today. So like uh, everything I'm saying is, is, is tentative. So I, that's why I invite you guys to put in your, your two cents, your 20 cents, your 100 cents, whatever you got. Um, the, uh, as I, you know, the, the idea of using a female as the example is also very powerful because I think typically we think that women are more able to talk about feelings, to talk about the inner life, to access that. And he's saying, still, she wouldn't be able to understand what's going on inside me. And I think that's, that, I think that's very powerful. He says, like a, and, and, and this is a very interesting metaphor here. He says, like a Storm on the sea, but Miriam. Notice he chooses another female character. But what kind of female character is Miriam? Definitely not a maidservant. A leader. Right, she's the leader. She's a prophetess, right? She's a Nivia. She's like the cream of the crop of, of, of human beings. Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam, the greatest three prophets that ever lived. Okay? So they're, you know, they, we're, we're talking about like a top of the top. But she, he doesn't talk about her perceiving anything. He talks about her drum. Like the pounding on the drum of Miriam. When did, when did Miriam join a band and play a drum? Does anybody know? After right. So when they were, after the Kriyat Yamsuf, when they were all singing, everyone was singing Az Yashir Moshe, Ovenei Yisrael, etc. That whole song that we're familiar with. And it says... That Miriam came, bitupimu bimcholot. She came with, uh, she came, you know, they, they were singing, the women were singing, and, and it says that Miriam took etatof biadash. She took the drum in her hand, and she was leading the singing of the women, and, the, and there were tupim bimcholot. There were uh, drums and dancing, okay? 
So we have here, very interesting. I was wondering, why would you choose? Now you could just say, and again, you know, whenever we're talking about poetry and we're talking about literature, we're, being, we're speculating a little bit, but I think it's interesting to wonder, why would you choose a metaphor of pounding on a drum? You're talking about the pounding of the sea and the ocean because you're talking about the feeling of inner disturbance that he has. What does it mean for your heart to be cut in half, you know, torn in half? Inner conflict, right? There's inner conflict raging. We get how a storm is like that, right? You feel overwhelmed. You feel like it's pounding at you. You feel like really it's hitting you. But using Miriam playing a drum as an example of pounding is very strange. Now, again, you could say, well, you're reading too far into it and actually it's just in order to tie in the whole theme of Kriyat Yamsuf because this happened also at the splitting of the sea, which he never explicitly mentions, even though it's obvious that that's what he's talking about, right? Maybe he's saying there's hope to what he's heartbroken about and he will celebrate like the drums. Okay, good. And that is actually going to come, that's going to, something similar to that's going to come very soon. But I was thinking of another thing. What kind of a pounding is a drum as opposed, to an, uh, as opposed to a storm? We've had a lot of storms lately here, you know, with a lot of rain, a lot of wind. You know what that's like. How is that similar or different from a drum being pounded by a prophetess? We're not even talking about a drum being beaten by, I don't know, uh, uh, Guns and Roses or, uh, uh, you know, somebody like that. We're talking about some, somebody who is a prophetess who is beating a drum. What is the, what kind of thing is that? As opposed to a storm. Celebration. Okay, so that's, that's what Diana was saying. Like that, in terms of the affect, in terms of the feeling, yeah, one is more celebratory, right? It's on purpose also. Ah, it's on purpose, right? And therefore what? It's predictable. It's rhythmic, right? It's orderly. It's rhythmic. It's predictable. It's giving a beat to the song, right? If the drum is all over the place, that's not a drum, okay? Even the all over the place drumming in rock and roll is actually not all over the place. It just sort of seems like that to an uninitiated person, but actually the notes are very carefully planned out and they're supposed to fit a certain pattern. Everything is supposed to be with a pattern. So he's describing two kinds of pounding, right? I don't think I'm reading into this too much, right? He's describing two different kinds of beating. One is the beating of a storm, which is chaotic, which is overwhelming, which is, you know, without ability to predict, where we feel overwhelmed, where we feel at the mercy of it. And then he's describing a pounding that is rhythmic and orderly and, and planned out and you could say rational and purposeful, right? And, and is actually putting things in order because what does the drum actually do? It sets the beat, right? A lot of what the drum is, it sets the beat for the rest of the music. Not always, but that's, that's one of the functions. Yes? Is that also like a living song to beat up the heart I think it could, very well could be. Cool. Yeah, because he does say that. He's talking about his heart. He says, He's talking about his heart still that's torn in two. So my heart is raging like a storm, but it's also beating like a drum. And this, And there's no... Cure in the world. He's talking, I think, about 
the nature, humanity, basically being a human being. What is it? There's a part of us that is emotional and passionate and chaotic and, and, and threatens to overwhelm us and, and is so difficult to, and we just cry for no reason or we laugh for no reason or we feel crazy for whatever reason, right? It's all, we're all over the place. Part of us is all over the place and wild like a storm and unpredictable and sometimes feels like we, we can't get it under control. And then there's another side to us that is beating like a drum. There's another side to us that's orderly, that's rational, that's intelligent, that's planned out. That, you know, that, and, and, and these two sides of who we are, there's no solution in Trufa Ba'ulam. There's no solution in this world. You can't reconcile these two halves of who we are. It's like, it's a, it, they're in conflict with one another. We have a side to us that is, I don't want to use the word animal, but you know, the physical side, the side that has all of the emotions and all of the passions and all of the aspects of ourselves that we can't tame so easily, that sometimes overwhelm us. And that could be any range of emotion and any range of experience that you think. Could be desire, could be sadness, could be happiness, could be jealousy, whatever it is. Could be anger. And then on the other side, you have the aspect that is orderly, rational, beating like a drum, marching forward, that type of a beating, not the type of beating that our windows are taking from a storm, but the type of beating that the heart beats or the type of beating that a drum beats, that Miriam would play. Miriam, the person who is a Nevi'ah, Miriam, the person who is a leader, Miriam, the person who is wise and, and patient and, and, and focused always. Miriam is a person who's always focused on the end game, right? Because she was the one, according to the Midrash, who insisted that her parents keep having children, otherwise they wouldn't have had Moshe. And she was also the one who stood there and waited to see what would happen with Moshe and intervened. And all the things that she did along the way, and even taking it further than that, even taking it further than that, what happens right after Miriam dies? Moshe and Aaron lose their temper dealing with the people and lose the opportunity to go into Eretz Yisrael. So Miriam is like a moderating force. Miriam is an example of moderating and, and, and managing the passions and directing things. Because as soon as she's gone, those two brothers, as good as they were, they didn't know how to manage the overwhelming situation that they had to deal with. And they ended up losing their tempers and, 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 and losing the opportunity to go to Eretz Yisrael. It happens literally in the same paragraph as Miriam dying is, is, is the sin with the hitting of the rock. Okay? So... Not that he's directly talking about that. I'm just saying the figure of Miriam as a person who is patient, seeing the, you know, what is the difference between our passions and our rational thinking? Our passions are in the moment. We don't think about the consequences and we do something stupid, right? Or self-destructive or that we're embarrassed about later. The long view is, wait a second, maybe I shouldn't let this emotion get the best of me. I need to think about tomorrow. I'm going to have to walk into this room tomorrow. I don't want to be embarrassed if I say that thing or I act that way. Tomorrow I'm not going to be able to see that. Look those people in the eye. Whatever. However we think, right? That's, I think, what he's talking about. And it's, it makes so much sense. He's using the idea of yamsuf. He's using the idea of the splitting of the sea that is an external thing that shows us, that showed us, and we remember it to show us God's, Presence, and that's why he brings in the maidservant who's able to see that. And that's a metaphor for what's going on inside of you. That you have a division inside of you also. And there's no way to resolve that division without God's help either. 
And that's part of what the song, I think, is, is getting at. And this is a, the, and, and, uh, and if we look at the next paragraph, we saw that language also in one of the other songs. means to give up, right? My heart, it says here, surrenders. Okay, pretty good. Stumbling, can't stand on its feet. Obviously, a heart doesn't have feet, but that's not, you know, it's a metaphor. It's a broken vessel that has nothing to it. Okay? The heavens are a wall to me. How can I pass amidst the sea on dry land? Now, what is that a reference to? The last line. Got to be out. Right, that's for sure Yamsuf, right? Walking on dry land between the two columns of water, right? He's saying, how can I walk through on dry land? Meaning, how can I manage? He already feels that he's knocked down, that he's giving up, that he can't resolve this conflict within him between the side that is rational and planned out and intelligent and the side that is passionate and emotional and fragile and... And, and wild. He can't resolve the conflict. So how is he going to be able to walk on dry land? Meaning, how is he going to be able to strike a balance and get through? With these two forces always looming over him, pulling him in two different directions. He can't stand on feet. Why can't a person stand on feet? Because they don't have balance, right? Moed, here doesn't mean holiday, right? Moed means, not, it means stumbling, okay? Moed lo Okay, Okay, something that doesn't have the ability to, is, isn't stable, isn't balanced. Or shever kli, I'm a broken vessel. A broken vessel means I'm not unified. Right? I don't feel a sense of unity within myself. I'm, I'm, how can I move forward if I'm broken and my parts are not coordinated with each other? So how, how can I move forward? It's like if you have a broken vase and you try to pick it up, what's going to happen? See, it's going to fall apart. You can't move it now. So he's using this metaphor again, and he says, Vash, and this is a, a, the, the doozy of this paragraph. What, what really strikes me about this paragraph is he says, Vashamayim emlichoma. The heavens are a wall to me. Now, that is a direct borrowing from a pasuk in the Torah, but doesn't say that. It's a paraphrasing or a borrowing of a phrase. What, was it, what does it say in the Torah? In the story of the, of the splitting of the sea, the language is, the water was a wall for them. From the right side. And from the left side. What does Yishai Ribo say? The heavens are a wall for me. How will I pass through the sea on dry land? The sea is his own internal sense of being imbalanced or being conflicted or being tossed between the different aspects of who he is. Okay? Why did he change the language? The heavens are a wall. When in the actual description, it's the water that is the wall. Okay, so let's get to what is a wall. What is a wall? Lacking clarity. So that's, the, that's like you're saying, a block, something blockage, right? One type thing is a blockage. Also a protector. It's also a protector, right? It's both. It can be both. 
It can be what protects us, Choma. A wall can be a protection. Like the walled cities of Israel were walled to protect somebody from getting in. Right? A Choma is a wall to protect you. A Choma is also a wall that blocks you if you're trying to get somewhere. It's both. Yeah, they have that too. And you have, so in the story of Kriyat Yamsuf, was that a good thing or a bad thing? It was saying that they were protected on either side, meaning the Egyptians couldn't come around because the water was like a wall on both sides. It was straight up. There was no way you could like come around the sides and get them, right? You had to go straight. And of course, that was not a good decision on the part of the Mitzrayim, but that's another story. Right, it was dry, and they went through, and there was like walls of water on either side, which meant that nothing else could come from the sides. There was no way to come from the sides. It was blocking in a positive way. Yishai Ribo is talking about the internal water, so that's not the wall. He's saying the wall is in Shemai. Okay, but that means two things. It means, it means that he feels some, something blocking him, but he also feels that what can protect him, what can save him, what can enable him to navigate this difficult situation is also Shemayim. Okay? So that's, I think he's using that term because it's such a, it has, it's like pregnant with meaning. It has like two meanings at the same time. It has the meaning of feeling blocked, like I can't do this, but it also is the Choma, meaning Hashem is a wall in the sense that he's the protector. He's the one that's going to enable me to get through. Just like when the water was a wall for them, it enabled them to get through. Okay? That, so he's saying my strength, it, because he, so to speak, is the ocean in the metaphor, so the wall that's going to enable him to get through is not going to be within himself. So he says it's the Shemaim. It's the heavens that are the wall that are going to protect me from being inundated by the water. And even though this tempest going on inside me can block me from relating to God, it's really God ultimately that is going to be the wall that will enable him to have the stability that he needs. And that's what it was. It was like, they were like a wall, meaning that they, were, they remained stable in place Separate, so he could, so the Jewish people could walk through. The wall is going to come from Shemai. Okay, so both of these meanings, I think, are in are, are in the word Choma here. I I can't help but look. Can you tell me if you think this is correct? The line um, that says, "How can I pass through the sea on dry ground?" I see the sea as like connection to Hashem and like flow and all the goodness that comes with our emotions. And then dry ground, almost like a dry sense of like, you don't have any emotion and it's just completely dry like a desert. And there's nothing there. Does that fit? I, I could see that being, in some cases, being, like I think in Navi, sometimes it is used that way. Where oh. water is like the good and Maybe the nurturing. Yeah. yeah. And here, I don't think he's using that because here he's using the water as like his inner turmoil, you know? But, and the dry well, land is the idea of stability and the ability to walk and, and, and to progress. But can't you see both sides? I, I, looked, I was like looking yeah, at it from yeah. the beginning. Can't you see it that way also? 
Well, I th- I'm not sure if that's how he's using it in this, in this particular song, even though I agree with you that it's sometimes used that way in Tanakh. I do think so. I'm just not so convinced that it's here. But let's see. Let's what, see how it goes. What pasuk makes you think that the water is the turmoil? Because in the that's beginning, true. when he talks about the wa- that his, in, his heart being like a storm. A shell, he's saying like the storm from a sea. Right. Yeah, his heart is like a storm from the sea that it's torn in half. But that and doesn't it's all mean that. that the water is the turmoil. It's the storm that's the turmoil. I hear you. Okay. You, I guess you could argue that. Okay. Let's, no, let's think that's possible. Okay. It's poetry. In poetry, everyone is right. <laughs> that's, the, that's the beauty of it. Okay. So, so I'm just saying that what, what struck me. So the idea of the heaven, the idea of a wall, meaning both potentially a, something that distances us, but also something that strengthens us and protects us and gives the stability, in this case, that will allow him to cross through the difficulties without being overwhelmed and be able to find a balance. Because he's talking about not being able to stand, not being able to walk, not being able to progress because he's a broken vessel or because he's shaking and he doesn't have balance because of the different elements of who he is. Okay? So now, now he gets to the refrain, right, of the song, which is, Only you, Hashem, he's talking to, can turn mispadila machol. This is a pasuk from Teilim. Hafachta mispadila machol. Right? In many, it's, it's not just in one place. The most famous place is in that mizmor of hafachta mispadila machol. That uh, you changed my, my mourning into joy, into dance. Right? That's, we read it in mizmor shir Chanukat Abayit de David. On Chanukah we read it. But it's a theme that appears in many places in Tanakh. That Hashem changes our mourning into happiness. Now, <coughs> He says, Only you, Hashem, can turn my sadness into happiness. Okay? So, again, going back to the metaphor of Kriyat Yamsuf, in Kriyat Yamsuf, it was Hashem's stabilizing of an external situation that showed God's presence and involvement and that was able to be seen. Here he's saying, My internal turmoil, I, my only source of stability is Hashem giving me the capacity to overcome it. Now the Gemara actually says, there's a very famous Gemara that tells us that the Yetzirah is so powerful that really without Hashem's help, a person would not be able to overcome the evil inclination of the Yetzirah. They wouldn't be able to, they wouldn't be able to because, of its, because of the power that it has. So there is an idea that the rabbis say, that the Chazal say, that our that we need Hashem's help. We need Hashem's assistance to be able to overcome our inner issues. Our inner issues are so powerful that they threaten to pull us down without Hashem's help. And he's for sure building on that idea. But then look at what he says here. Lizakech et achol. Lizakech means to purify. And chol, it's funny that they translated it literally, to purify the sand. Okay? Now, that, that is true. I mean, that is what chol means. Chol means sand. And lizakech is probably also from the word zchuchit, which is, which is glass, which is, you know, what they make sand into glass, you know. There's, I, you know, what? I said, Yeah. So, so that's, that's a literal meaning. And of course, we're talking about walking on dry land. We're talking about dry, walking on dry land through the ocean. So the idea of sand and, and all that makes make sense. But chol also has another meaning in Hebrew. 
That's a more common meaning that we use it, which is a mundane, right? So the idea of hamavdil ben kodesh lechol, that it's the side of us that is chol to be able to purify it, just like you take sand and you can make it into glass. Sand is dirt and, 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 and whatever, right? And it becomes this clear, translucent substance of glass. And in the same way, take what is chol in me. Take the chol. Take lezakechet chol. You can purify that which is mundane in me, that which is the lower element of me. In other words, he's saying, I have these two sides of myself. The side that is what, you know, what a lot of times in the, in the Kabbalah or like uh, in many, in, in, in a lot of Musar literature, it talks about like the animal soul versus the human higher soul. Right, so so <laughs> take that side of me, which is the animal soul, which is full of the passions and the emotions and the immediate gratification and all that, and be able to purify that. I need help to be able to do that because otherwise I'm perpetually in this conflict and I can't get out of it. I need Hashem to help me to rise above that and to purify, to turn the sand into glass, maybe in a literal way, or to purify that which is... Um, and to uplift that which is mundane, that which is lower in me. To soften in me everything. Okay? And to, meaning to make it, what does it mean to be softer? What's soft versus hard? What's soft? Ah, right, flexible, right? Because what ends up happening is that we're, what, what, something that is, that is inflexible, what happens to it? It can break. Right? Something that's stiff can break. Something that is something that's very uh, uh, flexible and soft so it can go with the flow. Right? It's able to literally weather the storm if we're sticking with the metaphor that he's talking about here, right? So an, a tree that is very hard and, and resistant in a wind will get broken and you'll 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 have a hurricane and, and and the branches will be all over the ground the next day, but then a very soft pliable kind of foliage it will still be there because it just bends with the wind back and forth and it's able to, it's able to withstand. So he's talking about softening himself to be able to deal with, because a lot of what happens is that because we're so rigid, our rigidity sometimes is what stands in the way of our ability to reconcile the different forces in us, to be able to integrate our personalities is a, what holds us back is a rigidity that everything has to be just so but a flexibility would allow us to integrate better and think about it in a group setting it's easy to see if people are all inflexible so it's very very difficult to make a cohesive group everybody is very rigid when you're flexible you're able to unite around some common purpose and let go of whatever it is that's holding you back and in the same way, a person who's able to be flexible with their inner life is able to integrate the different forces in their personality also. And that's very true. That's something that's uh, very true about inner life and inner growth, to be able to have that flexibility. Only you, Hashem, understand how to approach my heart. You like, the shakech means to settle down or to, you know, uh, alleviate whatever pain is in me, to heal my heart. So he's saying we need Hashem's assistance to be able to achieve this 
unification of ourselves, this integration of ourselves to overcome the, the fear that will be inundated by all the storm that's inside of us or by the different sides of who we are that we can't reconcile. How am I one moment this very well planned out, very rational, very intelligent person and the next moment I'm bouncing off the walls and I feel like, uh, you know, uh, completely at the, at the mercy of my emotions and not thinking about tomorrow at all. And the next second, I'm this very well put together, very, uh, you know, very forward thinking. How, how can I be those two people? Yeah, it's talking about understanding yourself and also recognizing there's also a prayer to Hashem that we need Hashem's help in doing it. Right, we need... That's, right, yeah, we need Hashem's assistance too. That's what the Chazal say. The Chazal, the rabbis always say, we ask Hashem every day. We say, uh, unify our hearts. But what does it mean uh, to unify our hearts that we always talk about uh, to bring our hearts together, Right? What does that mean? It means that there are conflicting, we have a conflicting nature within ourselves. Or even when we say, the rabbis say, what does it mean in, the, in two bits in the word of with all your heart you should serve Hashem. It means with both sides of who you are you should serve Hashem. Not just with the holy side. There's also a side that's mundane. You can elevate it, right? But we need God's help to be able to achieve that. It's easier said than done. And looking inside ourselves and really plumbing the depths of who we are is part of it. But also asking for Hashem to give us, number one, the insight to be able to do it, but also the help to be able to do it. And that's what he's talking about. And I think there's a lot, it's very relevant, of course, to this time of year in Yamim Noraim when we're asking Hashem for that kind of help. And I feel like a lot of times the shofar symbolizes that. The shofar symbolizes the crying out to God that, look, we've done everything that we can to try to improve and to try to bring ourselves around, but we're, there's only so far we can go because our human nature is such that we're limited in our ability to conquer that inner world. We're limited. Just like we're limited in going to the depths of the sea, we're limited in going to the depths of ourselves. There's so much more about us that we don't even know. There's so much more going on inside us that we're not even aware of. And the, even the most self-aware person is only scratching the surface and getting to the tip of the iceberg of what's under there. Hashem knows it, and therefore Hashem can help us to uh, navigate it and to, to overcome those difficulties. And I think it's, and if you look at the next part, he kind of hits on what I've been saying all along more explicitly. Because then he says, Halev He goes back to the metaphor, My heart is torn in two. Half of it is guilty and half of it is for the sake of heaven. That's exactly what we're talking about. Meaning half of us is the imperfect, the lower side of who we are. The other half is the Shem Shamayim, is the part that's really dedicated to God. One moment we're at the heights of tefillah, heights of Torah, heights of doing chesed, and the next minute we're fighting and we're jealous and we're angry and we're this and we're that. And all the, how does it happen? We're, we're really split. And the, and the rabbis talk about this all the time. Yetzer hatov That's exactly what yetzer hatov and yetzer is. Our tendency, the part of our nature that yearns for God and for truth and for goodness and that we nurture and the part of us that pulls away from it. Goes to the opposite. And being able to, and in fact, the rabbis often say that the Yetzirah part is much more powerful. It's much more powerful. Because it's fueled by the, you know, by our, you know, our biological energy, our animal energy is so powerful that the ability to overcome it requires God's help. 
This the Gemara says many times. And um, then he repeats things that he said before. It's kind of a long song. He repeats those metaphors about the storm, about Miriam. But now you can kind of see it. The storm, what I was trying to argue before, that the storm is maybe is symbolizing the side, which is Ashim, which is the guilty side, meaning the side, which is the lower side. And the Miriam's, uh, 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 you know, pounding on the drum, now it fits perfectly because he's saying the other half, the, se- the half that's the Shem Shemaim, that's Miriam, the Shem Shemaim. Right? It fits well with that interpretation that I was suggesting. And then he says again exactly the same thing, the refrain. So I want to skip that paragraph and go to the, that um, short paragraph. That says, um, I don't know how it is laid out on your page because I printed out my original page. So this is a quote that I wouldn't have seen it if it were not for, again, the Dilamani uh, gentleman uh, pointing it out to me that this is actually a play off of a poem from Ibn Ezra, from Avram Ibn Ezra. I guess if I'd Googled it, I, th- where he says, um, there is a foe who bothers the flock and there is no envoy, 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 who would scream for God. Only I before a whole sea with a broken heart. So this part is actually... Only, sen- only makes sense and is only comprehensible. I don't even think I heard it when I listened to the song because he kind of says it quick, you know, towards the end of the song. And it doesn't flip, fit so much with the rest of the song. It's a ref- only somebody really educated with a lot of knowledge of Hebrew poetry would even know this. This is a, a poem from, and I didn't even know until they, they, they showed it. I guess I would have Googled it and it probably would have come up. Because Ibn Ezra and the Ibn Ezra family, not just Rabbi Avram Ibn Ezra that we know from his commentary on Chumash, but the Ibn Ezra family in general wrote a lot of poetry, a lot. There are books and books and books of their poetry. So there's so many poems that they wrote that, um, you know, that he knew this poem. So I, I, I found a copy of this poem online and um, it's here. I just put it in Hebrew. I didn't translate it because I'm just going to tell you what it says. Okay, so it's a very cute poem. And it's, it's very like a clever poem and it's really interesting so, to understand what he's saying here. This is the poem, this is the poem of Ibn Ezra. Yeah, so they, I think they heard in an interview or they read in an article or something that he mentioned that it was connected to a poem of Ibn Ezra. Oh, I thought and then they told me where the Ibn Ezra poem, they found it. I guess they looked it up. I don't think that they, I didn't think that they knew it. I don't want to assume they didn't know it. Maybe they did, but I, I got the sense that they read somewhere or they heard in an interview or something that he was referring to this poem. So this is what the poem says. Four were, at the, were standing at the sea. Tzur, Tzur is Hashem, right? The rock. Tzir, Tzir means like an intermediary. Tzon, that's the flock, that's the Jewish people. Vitzar, and the enemy. So notice they're all tzari. Tzur, Tzir, Tzon, Right? Tzar, etzik litzon. The oppressor was bothering the sheep. Vitzon, See, it rhymes kind of. It's like a little, it's like a tongue twister, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you read it all the way through. And the, and the sheep cried out to the intermediary. That's Moshe Rabbeinu. So God, so Moshe Rabbeinu uh, prayed to God. The tzor, the rock. And so the rock, meaning Hashem, commanded the intermediary, Moshe. There's a lot of tzadis in there. You know, it's like a, it's like a tongue twister. You could, you know, like a, what is it? Um, yeah, what do you call it? Um, uh, the picked a pack of pickled peppers, whatever it is, tongue twister, right? Yeah, so, um, so anyway, 
Go save my sheep from the hands of the oppressor. This is the rock of our salvation. Open your mouths, our community, and say, Hashem Malkeinu, Hu Yoshienu, Tzur Yisrael. That Hashem is our king, he will save us, the rock of Israel. So the, the point is that it's a very cute tongue twister using four words with Tzadi. Tzur, which is Hashem the rock, Tzir, which is the intermediary, so meaning the one in between, the, the Moshe Rabbeinu. Um, tzir can also mean like uh, the door bolt or whatever. Right? Then the tzon are the sheep and the tzar is the enemy and how he keeps using the tzadi and going back. It's like a tongue twister to read the, to read the poem. I can share that on the, for you guys to see um, in, the, in one of the chats later just for you to see the tongue twister of the Hebrew. But that's what he's talking about here. So in this part where he says, V'yesh od tzar There's another enemy <coughs> that's causing pain to the sheep. V'en tzir But there's no intermediary to cry out to the, to the rock. Meaning... He's playing off of this poem because in the poem it's talking about the Egyptians oppressing the Jews and they turn to Moshe Rabbeinu and Moshe Rabbeinu turns to Hashem. He's saying there's another enemy oppressing us. He's talking about the internal enemy, right? Not an external enemy, the internal enemy. Ourselves, right? Our own conflict. And we can't turn to Moshe. We don't have Moshe Rabbeinu, right? So therefore, all there is is me facing a complete ocean and a broken heart. Okay? So, in the, uh, so meaning to say that we are in a situation where we, all that we have is to face this overwhelming feeling of the depths of who we are, the complete ocean, meaning all the totality of who we are and the live shavor and the broken heart and the divisions and the split within ourselves, we have to handle it alone. We can only turn to Hashem. We don't have Moshe Rabbeinu to help us. And it's not even an external enemy that the external enemy can fall and leave us to be relieved of the problem. An external enemy is easier than an internal. Because internal, I can't get away from it. Right? The external, maybe they will collapse, maybe they will run away, maybe they will get distracted, maybe they will leave me alone, a bully will get somebody else to bully. Right? But inside me, I can't get away from it. I'm facing this ocean and I have my, this broken heart, this sense of being split inside, split personality, and I, I can only turn to God. Okay? So this is what the song essentially, I think, you know, and I, I love that little reference to Ibn Ezra. He's like giving a little like, uh, really for the people who are not, that do not include me, people who are super literate uh, uh, connoisseurs of, of medieval poetry. So he's giving you that little reference that only somebody who is really in the know about that would get it, but it ties in perfectly with the theme of the song, which is that what is, what is the story of the splitting of the sea? It's about how Hashem showed, saved us basically, and manifested his presence through an external enemy, an external conflict, intervening in the external world that even if we go back to the first paragraph, even the maidservant was able to perceive the hand of God. But there's an internal conflict that's raging within me, which also is a splitting. But in that case, the splitting is not what's saving me. The splitting is what's causing me harm. The splitting is what's making me feel broken. The splitting is what's making me feel that I can't move forward. 
And instead of the splitting, creating dry land for me to go on, he's saying, even though my, light, my heart is split in two, I can't walk through the, uh, I can't walk through the dry land because I don't have the sense of stability, inner stability and strength to be able to unify, integrate who I am and move forward. I need Hashem to do that. So it's not something that we can see on the outside. We need Hashem on the inside to overcome the conflicts and the, you know, the uh, dissonance that we're experiencing in ourselves. And, the, and we turn to Hashem from that, from our inner Kriyat Yamsuf, so to speak. But our Kriyat Yamsuf, the split inside of us, is not what saves us. It's what causes us the trouble. And then we turn to heaven. Heaven becomes our source of strength. It can, it can seem like it's shutting us out, it can seem like because we're so wrapped up with the internal conflict that we've become disconnected from heaven and that's one meaning of the wall maybe. But also the wall is our source of strength. The wall is what protects us. The wall is what allows us to find the dry land just like the walls of water, so to speak, were what kept the dry land present for them to be able to move forward. That's God's presence that allows us to move forward. But it's not God's presence dealing with an external threat. It's God's presence in dealing with our internal Travails, and that's so much of what personal development is about. Not you know, not looking for solutions of ex- problems external to us, but trying to resolve the conflicts that are within us, and, and and how to integrate our personalities and make them better vessels for serving Hashem, better instruments for serving Hashem. We can't do it alone. We actually need to open our hearts to Hashem to give us this the insight and the strength and the opportunity to do that. So it's really a beautiful song, and, and, and I think it's very, very, very ap- appropriate to this time of year, too. Any other thoughts about this or observations? I'm so interested to hear because this is all like not, you know, this was sort of off the cuff. This is sort of just like my reading of the Ishai Rebo could come and be like, you have no idea what you're talking about. I did not vet this with him. I didn't. It was, yeah, it wasn't like uh, peer reviewed by, um, uh, you know, any experts? So I'm open to any thoughts, but this was how the song struck me. Any, any additional observations or thoughts? Questions, comments? I didn't end up using the chumash in the end. I thought I would. I really promised that I wanted to. So. Right. From inside, from within, yeah. Generate like to make our bina come to the surface. Mm, to have the insight, like, yeah. yeah. Like we're studying wisdom from outside to take our wisdom of the inside out. Right, right, yeah. Isn't the next question? And I th- and what we're saying about Sur before he talks about that too. Here yeah, it's actually yeah, specifically here they have God as the rods, the rock, which is very, uh, which is a good intuition. Any other thoughts about the poem, about the song? I should say. We should, we should, Rivo and I should uh, sit down. Talk. That would be nice, but he doesn't know English, so he would have to give in. It's okay. Yeah. But, you know, but I'd love to, either. yeah, but I would love to go over some of the ideas and see if I'm missing I anything, you. or I would love to. Yeah, he's actually very accessible, but uh, yeah, maybe. That's what I hear.